This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. The Athletic. Le Mans is on the horizon this week with the sixth round of the MotoGP season. We've got a quick MotoGP fix here for you with myself, Toby Moody, Valentin Harunchi and Simon Patterson. We'll just talk MotoGP. What's on the cards? What's around the paddock as it bimbles itself into the Département du Sarthe? And also, we're going to give you a chance to get your voice and your questions into this MotoGP podcast. So stay tuned Listen up. The Bugatti circuit at Le Mans is a smaller version of the big 13.8 kilometre circuit de la Sarthe, but the May date always causes many a rain flurry, cold weather, slippery tarmac, or sunburn and red faces as the bikers queue at the motorway toll booths on their way back to Paris, still nursing their hangovers on a Sunday evening. Winners so far this year, though, in MotoGP have been two wins for Inea Bastianini aboard his Ducati, Miguel Oliveira with the KTM, Alicia Spargaro on board the Aprilia. What a debut victory that was. Fabio Quattararo back on form with the Yamaha and Peko Bagnaia, victorious last time out on the works Ducati. But predicting a winner into Le Mans It's not something I get into, but let's just have a quick look back at the last three years. 2019, the last dry race. It was Marc Marquez from Andrea De Vizioso from Danilo Petrucci. Seems a long time ago, that, doesn't it? 2020 was wet. Danilo Petrucci from Alex Marquez from Paul Espargaro. Last victory for Petrucci. And then in 2021, it was again last year a wet race with Jack Miller winning from Joan Zarco from Fabio Quattararo. Well, are any of you going to predict a winner or you got to predict the weather first? <laughs> I'll, I'll predict the weather, actually. because So the last time I was in Le Mans was not 12 months ago for the MotoGP race, but was last July for a rescheduled Le Mans 24-hour bike race and it was glorious i walked the circuit at 4 a.m in the morning in the middle of the race and it was 17 degrees and it was you walked the circuit in the middle of the race that's a a safety hazard on the service road and uh the during the race itself during race start at 3 p.m in the afternoon it was 28 degrees and the forecast for this weekend's race motor gp is 28 degrees so i'm actually looking forward to sonny le mans which um regular attendees will know is a very unusual experience. It'll still be miserable because it's a weird, loud, concrete place full of insane Frenchmen. But, you know, it'll still be fun. I might as well take a stab at predicting the winner. Uh, Last time out, obviously, last year's race wasn't fully wet. It was dry-ish at the start and then turned wet and there were dry patches of dry running through the weekend. But it's been, you know, it's been a good place for Yamaha when it's dry, so... I'd say Fabio. But there's there's a few guys in the field who have really strong Le Mans records. Obviously, um, Mark 
Mark's really good at Le Mans, but also I think the interesting one is uh, Maverick Vinales is really good at Le Mans. And if, if, if there's a good time for him to put together his first like proper complete Aprilia weekend, this would be it, really, both in terms of timing and in terms of the, the fitting circuit. Yeah. Okay, then. Who do you want to win the race with a championship view? Let, let's, let's go a bit biased here for a moment. Oh, Vinales. Ah. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I'm, I'm with a lot. Um, and Aprilia. Yeah. I, I want to see the Aprilia title charge continue. I, I, I would happily see Alicia on the podium again. Alicia Spagaro on the podium again. Um, I'd happily see Maverick Vinales on the podium because it keeps things interesting. From a boring point of view, if I wanted to say who should be on the podium or who should win the race from a championship perspective, it should probably be Peko Bagnaya because that proves that the step that he made last time out is a real step and it's going to bring him closer to, to Quattararo in the championship battle. But but we're not here to make boring predictions, are we? We don't no. want to see runaway winners. We want to see wildness. Let's see an Aprilia win again. What about you, Val? Yeah, uh, Vinales. No, but in, not in terms of it. Like, in terms of the championship, Vinales would be good because he's not really a factor in the title fight. So the longer we get of this wild period where everyone's sort of in the hunt, the better. And the way to do that is to avoid the inevitable streak of Quartararo and Orbanya victories that is surely coming. Uh, maybe has already started, but, you know, let's hope there's something weird this weekend again, and then we go into normalcy. I've actually changed my mind um, based on everything that's gone on this week. I think I want Alex Rins or Juan Mir to win. Ah, you stole what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell I me. Mean, Let's see, let's see a Suzuki win just to throw a spanner in the works completely for Hamamatsu. Gintoli leads Suzuki 1, 2, 3. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> my, my, my first memory of Sylvain Gintoli is leading a race at Le Mans. I'm uh, sure you were in the box for it, Toby. Yellow Yamaha. Yeah, oh, uh, 7, oh, 08. Oh, 06, oh, 07, oh, 08, yeah. Uh, he sat on the, um, on the grid and his crew chief at the time... Dutch guy. Oh, I can see his face. Can't remember his name. How embarrassing. What, Wally? Anyway, he said, he came up to me after the race. He said uh, that Sylvan said, it is time to go to the butchers to get the knives out. I will kill everyone on the first lap. Um, except said with a French Brummy accent. All right. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, who do I want to win? I want to see Fabio win because I want to hear the Marseillaise and maybe this is his chance to win. But if he doesn't win, well, let's have Zarco because that would be even better just for the fun of it. As you say, if it's all a bit of a mixed up part of the season and we don't know who's going to win and nobody really wants to run away with a championship lead at the moment, then why don't we give Zarco a bit of a time on the top yeah. step yeah. magic magic that'd yeah. be magic uh, and then the championship will look after itself it always does you know so uh so that'll be uh that'll be fun come sunday afternoon uh, talking suzuki val where where are things at i mean we haven't heard from japan they've had golden week last week which is a big national holiday but really that's no excuse for not saying anything for a week well you know maybe it's turning into a golden month i don't know but uh Ultimately, at this point, I think the only miles deadline they really need to hit is the start of the weekend, and even then, they there might not be that consideration. Like the the horse has bolted in terms of breaking the news or catching up with with all the reporting. So it's just pick the the least painful time, and the least painful time, I guess, would be maybe Tuesday, Wednesday, because you don't want your riders and 
team boss and team who are already heading for the unemployment line. You do not want them having to pretend like nothing is happening during the weekends and having to shirk away from obvious questions that are obviously coming. So yeah, I'd say, just, you know, they, they have to rip off the band-aids, probably do it quickly. No real need to, no real need to do anything special about it because everyone knows it's coming. I, I would imagine that as well, there, there might be part of the reason for the delay might be that there's some unexpected negotiations going on in the background uh, with, with Dorna. I would imagine that Suzuki, yeah. Yeah. based on the fact that they seem incredibly disconnected from MotoGP in the first place by making this completely ridiculous decision, um, I would imagine that they've assumed that Dorna would say, oh, well, thanks for coming to the party. See you guys later. Whereas based on how strongly worded the Dorna statement was, Dorna have said, okay, we'll see you in court. You owe us a lot of money. Um, so I, I would imagine that there has maybe been a delay in making a a clean announcement that, that maybe Hamamatsu expected. Yeah, I mean, maybe the penalty clause for leaving, particularly in the first year of the five, maybe it's a bigger penalty rather than leaving with one year to go. So they're going to leave four years. Pay. So it might it might be graded that they have to pay, pick a figure, because I will. 50 million euros for leaving in the first year 40 30 10 um something like that i'm i'm grabbing at straws and maybe they've gone oh hang on a minute it's cheaper to flip and stay which is which is in theory what the penalty should be and maybe we can find the budget from somewhere up maybe mm. maybe suzuki europe will come up with a budget not japan uh, maybe they'll 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 go cap in hand around the european importers and find it that way who knows but the the, the whole problem with this decision um, when you read the the Suzuki shareholder information that, that we wrote up on the site earlier in the week, the whole problem is that they're relying on Europe to pay for their race budget. Suzuki still seem to think that the way that the reason to go to MotoGP racing is to sell superbikes in Europe, and every other that. manufacturer will tell you that that's a, a path to nothing. That is not how yeah. it works. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if that is their solution, then well, it just reinforces my belief that. Suzuki management is completely and utterly disconnected from the reality. Um, I'm the, I don't want to say the, the youngest, but I am the youngest man on this, on this panel, so to speak. And I've never seen a manufacturer change its mind once it decides to leave. Never, ever in any, in any motorsport category. Once it's gone, it's gone. Um, maybe you guys have, have seen something before I have, but I, I really doubt it. I've, I've never heard of that happening. Once, once a decision has been taken, they'll, they'll find some sort of financial settlement and walk away. You're absolutely right, Val. But as Simon's just touched on, and as we've got the kind of vibe over the last seven days, this is a mess. It's an utter embarrassing mess for MotoGP and for Suzuki. Um, they don't know which way's up, left or right. You're right. They probably won't come back, but Paul Denning, you know... <laughs> He sent me a message. I won't tell you what it was, but it, put it this way: he's hardly surprised. Well, th this is the thing. Like, I, I completely I agree with what you say, Val. That normally when manufacturers leave, they leave. But Suzuki left in eleven and came back in fourteen. <laughs> like, this is a company that is renowned for absolutely ridiculous flip flop decisions when it comes to Grand Prix racing. And I know that others, especially like Le Mans, comes to mind where you see. 
manufacturers leaving and coming back and etc etc but i i I didn't understand why suzuki left for three years back in 2011 and i don't really understand why they're leaving now and i don't know what they're going to do in the future i mean the the thing with staying is if they stay they have to find two new riders that's simple as that there's no way anybody's renewing their deal because I, I don't think they're staying. Let's let's put it that way. I, I no, really I, don't think, so. I don't but, think they're staying. Yeah. But if I we somehow agree. imagine a situation where they're like, okay, we don't want to pay a, a f- the financial penalty. Penalty. He's the, here's a skeleton crew team for the next however many years, and then we walk out once we're happy to pay the contractual sum to leave one or two years in advance. A valid point. That might do us a, a Kawasaki Hayate thing, which is exactly what Kawasaki yeah. did. Yeah. When they yes, to, but yeah. okay, so. Mir and Renz will not stick around for that. No, and no way. neither should they. <laughs> no, no, I agree. Talking of which, Simon, you had some very strong words to write up after speaking to Juan Mir's manager. You put those words in a great story on the a great article on the website, uh, the-race.com. Just take people through what he said. So essentially, uh, they were in the final stages of negotiation to sign a contract for next for the next two years, uh, Mir and Suzuki. Um, Paco Sanchez, Mir's manager. I actually, I messaged Paco to see if he'd speak. And uh, in the end, he, he WhatsApped me a fairly lengthy um, statement slash interview. Um, and, and they've been completely blindsided by this. They just didn't see it coming whatsoever. He still hasn't been formally told. Um, as far as I understand, his writer was in the garage whenever they came in and told the team as a whole in the garage but they haven't formally sent him uh, a statement to say that they're ending negotiations which is just absolutely ridiculous um it is such an unprofessional way to do business and as val says they, they don't deserve their writers if this is how japanese management think that they can be treated um he, he's he's speaking to every manufacturer um, it, to be honest, it seems like their biggest issue at the minute is that um, people in the paddock didn't understand that they were very close to renewing with Suzuki. Um, he sort of hinted to me that some other manufacturers that they've spoken to said, oh, we thought you guys had already signed a contract with HRC to be the new Repsol Honda rider. And he's now, Paco, is now damaged limitation as much as he can to get the message out there that they have signed nothing, that his... 2020 world championship winning star rider needs a new deal for 2023 and they're they're hunting in all avenues um which is crazy maybe them not signing accelerated a decision from suzuki because if they had signed it would have a clause in that would say if the team pulls out you got to pay them the impression that i got was that the 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 lingering negotiations were all coming from the suzuki side so it seems to me that they've entered into negotiations with me in bad faith because they've mm. been putting him Hedging off. Um, you know, that it, exactly that they knew something was coming, um, which, yeah, it's not someone you want to do business That's with. Bad is form, it? That. Yeah, it I, is. I, I, I can't imagine that the in, like the rider lineup for 2023 played any part in the decision or anything rider adjacent because. Especially with what Mir's manager has said, obviously. If you are on the verge of retaining your guy, who is the guy who many, many, many other rival manufacturers want, 
the last thing you'd want to do is just close up shop unless you unless that doesn't really matter. In in, in yeah. this case, yeah. it didn't yeah. clearly. I think uh, if if the decision had come after Mir had announced a Repsol Honda deal, yes. Maybe so like, there was an maybe there was an argument. So like, remember World Rally Championship? Uh, Sebastian Ogier leaves Citroen, and Citroen folds its program immediately. If I remember mm-hmm, correctly, mm-hmm. that's yeah. something like that happens. If it could have been like this, but instead it's like, what if Ogier decided to stick with Citroen, and Citroen was like, nah, still out. This yeah. this is what this would be like. What I hear what you say, and of course, Simon and. Uh, forgive me for saying those words you said about oh Suzuki were hedging their bets that's probably a bit of Peko um, Sanchez the manager's words rather than yourselves because Peko was in negotiation with Suzuki but he would have been in negotiation with Livio Supo the team principal at Suzuki and I've known Livio since April 96 and I know him well I'd be very surprised if he was bluffing or putting up a front oh i i fully believe that he's been blindsided totally by this yeah, as well. yeah yeah so uh, i haven't spoken to him about it but i am fully yeah, yeah. i've texted him but i won't I ring because i know he won't speak to me about it <laughs> i i would imagine that the only person in the garage who knew that this was coming was uh shinichi sahara and maybe ken kawada yeah. the the project leader and the chief engineer I, I can't imagine that any of the others knew. Maybe about they were just fudging Livio along, and oh, tomorrow, tomorrow, and oh, bang. Well, even like I, honestly, I I see it as a lot less sinister the way I see it. I think, let's say Mir and Supo have, or Mir has put some terms up, and Supo is like, okay, I'll take that to Japan, and then just wait for an answer while Japan, un- unbeknownst mm. to basically everyone, is deliberating whether to pull the plug on the entire thing. That would be the most logical resolution to me. I don't think there's. I don't. I can't imagine there was a lot of bad faith going on from ever, anyone. Just a, a lack of transparency from the side that's not really all that involved, but just signs the checks. I guess um, it's our duty also to report uh, something that popped up on the Reuters website, twenty uh, sixth of April, about the fact that some Suzuki offices around Europe had been raided in conjunction with emissions testing and emissions fraud in some engines, not necessarily motorcycle engines, but some road going engines. Um, just reporting it, it's out there. Um, you can Google it at your heart's content. But that was late April, and then the decision came, uh, well, just after the Hareth race. So that was on the 2nd of May. So I uh, don't know if those two facts are connected. You never know. Um, um, obviously, you know, if the tone isn't apparent from the rest of the podcast, not rushing to defend, defend Suzuki management for anything that they've done here. Um, but I'm not, I, I think that, They've been caught up in a scandal that's perhaps not of their making from how I fully understand this situation. Um, the engines in question uh, were bought by them from, I can't remember the name of the company. It's the company that formed as the merger of PSA and, and Renault. You know, they, they, no. they created this uh, like uh, the super company. That's it. That's yeah. it. So they bought their engines from them. And it's them that have been primarily rated, I think, as as you know, Diesel Gate two point or whatever. Um, and and I think the the same thing happened to Seat, where they were well, rated Seat's under VAG Group. Remember? Yeah, yeah, and and they were rated as a consequence of 
other people's supplied engines being dodgy, but they largely got away with it. So I think Suzuki will probably fall into a similar boat where it turns out that they were supplied with a complete power plant that, that wasn't, you know, didn't do what they were told. But whether or not it's linked to this, I, I don't know. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So then, if Suzuki are not going to be playing MotoGP next year, where do you think the riders are going? What are your bets, Val? Uh, uh, Paco Sanchez is not going to like this, but Mir Honda and Rins, I have to retreat into like a dark room for 15 minutes and think about it because i have no idea right now and i've thought about this pre-podcast it's not like i'm completely unprepared i just i don't it's tough i have a a real sneaky suspicion that maverick vinales has picked the worst time in history and this is someone with a history of making really dumb statements and bad (laughs) career choices that he has picked the worst time in his life to say that he's looking at options other than uh, aprilia and i think that aprilia and mir gonna go maybe not sign a deal but they're gonna go quite far in negotiations because you know Aprilia and Mir Aprilia and Mir yeah Mm. because it's weird um I I after the Suzuki thing came out um I was writing up a a feature about Maverick um about the problems he's still having adopting to the Aprilia and he went on at length about how the strength of the Aprilia is how good it is in the braking, about how his big weakness is that he can't use the braking as well as a leash, about how he needs to be faster at stopping the bike, about how he's losing time in corner entry. One mere strength on a MotoGP bike is stopping it. His strength is braking and corner entry. We know that Mir is not someone who would chase the money. We know that he's someone who would rather be winning than getting well paid as evidenced by the fact that he was about to re-sign for Suzuki whenever Repsol Honda were supposedly hunting him quite hard and Repsol Honda have turned their bike from one that was amazing on braking into one that's a lot different and doesn't give the same feeling and that's what Mark Marquez is struggling with and etc etc I think that the mere Aprilia thing could be a really really interesting career move for him um yeah I I would love to see him. I used to think that I wanted to see him in a Repsol Honda. And last year, I wanted to see him in a Repsol Honda. And the more I listen about the 2022 RC213V, which is really different, the more I think, mm, I think he'd suddenly find himself having the same problems that Marquez is having on it, et cetera, et cetera. Let's see him in Aprilia. And seeing behind the scenes with the Netflix, Sorry, Prime, Prime, uh, MotoGP Unlimited documentary, as it were, about last year. You come away going, would you sign Vinales or would you sign Mia? Now, you don't have to think very long about that, do you? Well, also on, on recent form. Be- yeah. Be- <laughs> because, because, yeah, because, but also, as a character, other teams have seen what the riders are like in the other garages for the first time ever. Because when you're in a team, all that, all that exists 
is that garage. You have no idea who wins the other race. You have no idea where they... All you're concentrating on are your two riders. And all of a sudden, you can sit there and you can see what... And, of course, if they're speaking in Spanish you know, or Italian and the, the other viewers from Aprilia, or they, they've got this insight into the mother tongue of somebody rather than the, the subtitles that we picked up on. And you go, do you know what? I prefer to go for Mir. Is Vinales a bit flaky? I don't think I need to answer that question. Honestly, even before the Prime thing, I, I think there is no rider in MotoGP who is more what you see is what you get than Maverick Vinales. Uh, Andre Iannone maybe used to be that, but he's he's no longer around. So, And I think also, you know, what Mir's reputation, what it was, I think the Prime thing completely justified. But it's it's I don't think it's, it's going to be a lack of willingness on Aprilia's part. I just, I don't see Mir doing it. Aprilia has had the better season than Honda. I think it has the better Reich right now, but a longer term, Mir's young. He, he can be basically, well, I guess Marquez is still the face of that franchise, but Mir is considerably younger. He's been courted by Honda for a while already and probably wasn't too far off of agreeing a move before Suzuki swooped in, swooped in for him. I know the bike's not fantastic right now, but they have both the financial might and the historic track record of investment compared to Aprilia that I I think will I I think would sway him. But I don't know. That's it's a tough one. My my problem with historic track records at HRC is that the historic track record there is that one rider is fast and every other rider fails. Correct. And and that to me I don't think we're ready to see Mark Marquez fail. Um, and that would put me off wanting to be his teammate, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit like, you know, joining Michael Schumacher at Ferrari. You just sign here to be second. Yeah. Mir, Mir wants to be world champion again. He doesn't want to be Danny Pedrosa, who wants three races a year and never left the championship. Yeah, but the thing with Danny Pedrosa is Danny Pedrosa was older than Mark Marquez. And yeah, yeah, no, I know, I know. But older than Casey, too, I believe. Or at least yeah, same age. He was. Yeah. Help me out here, Simon. Who was the last Repsol Honda rider who wasn't Mark Marquez to win a race? Pedroza, 17. Yeah, yeah. The last time yeah. Marquez was beaten, the last time a Repsol Honda rider was in the podium that wasn't Marquez was 17. Wait, what did Paul start of this season? Oh, yeah. so prior to this season. Yeah, yeah. Prior to Paul doing it at the start of the year. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah that but, was the but, start. W- but winning a race, you go back to Danny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and Danny faded really badly go. in the closing couple of years of, yeah. of his Honda stint. Yeah. yeah. And and even, mm. you know, even when you take Danny out of the mix, how many number two Repsol Honda riders have won races? <sighs> Going back to, like, Mick in the Mick, uh, mid-90s. Uh, yeah, but they won every race in 97. And the Hondas in those days were a lot more user-friendly yes. for other riders no i know that too but yeah. but but it's still it honda has always been number one plus whoever's on the other bike Crivier got to go from number two to number one didn't he effectively only when mick yeah, was injured mick yeah but there's somebody yeah. injured right now at honda so <laughs> now might be the time yeah but he but but that's yeah. my point it, it's it's and we've talked about that this ad infinitum that the 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 honda is still too much of a pointy peak of the mountain, and it's not a plateau like the V5 was. Alex Barros jumped on a Honda V5 at Mategi in 2002. 
He jumped on it on a Friday morning for the first time ever. Didn't even ride it around the car park. Didn't even test drive it down the ramp off the truck. And he won the Grand Prix on Sunday. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you look back at it now and you go, what? <laughs> and then he won Valencia in a last lap proper, proper fight with Valentino on the same bike. Although I will throw it out there because because I had completely forgotten about it. We're talking about Suzuki in the 2002 season. Uh, I wrote a feature this week ranking every Suzuki four-stroke MotoGP rider and I forgot that the first ever four-stroke MotoGP race was almost won by a Suzuki wildcard, Akira Ryu, who finished second to Valentino Rossi. The first ever four On stroke. Dunlops. On Dunlops. On Dunlops in the wet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Three different manufacturers in the first three places at the first four-stroke race. That that was a that was a race. That was that was good. We'll get back to the pod in a moment, but first, a word about our partner, Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports, and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done, and Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently, so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at Grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Okay, well, let's move on from Mia. Where do you think Rins is going to go? All right, let me try I, I know I've, I've shied away from it, but let me have a go. Um, if I'm Fabio, I really want Alex Rins on the other factory Yamaha next to me because Alex Rins clearly has done a very good job helping Suzuki turn its 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 bike into what it is right now, into a much, much better, much more competitive bike. Um, what Andrea Delicioso hasn't quite done for them, if I'm Fabio, even though Rins is a very strong teammate and pro- I think easily would be the strongest second strongest rider at Yamaha where he invited but I think I think he'd be a good punt for for Yamaha and for for Fabio it's just a question of how do you deal with the the the, the whole contract situation how do you deal with with having like do you keep Frankie in the factory seat and avoid any sort of contractual squabbles or anything like that any offers of demotion and do you just do you give Rins a one-year RNF deal if RNF is even staying with Yamaha? Do you give Rins a one-year RNF deal with a promise of the next year being a factory deal? Would he go for that? This is really complicated. But that's that's if if I'm Lynn Jarvis or Maya Merigali or whoever, that's that's along the lines I'm thinking of. The the problem with that is um, <laughs> RNF are from what we can gather in talks with Yamaha with Aprilia to be their satellite team which then could throw another spanner in the works by leaving Yamaha without a satellite team um one thing that I have picked up on um just to draw an absolute line through it there will not be a seventh satellite team next season 
to replace Suzuki. Suzuki's okay. grid spot is reserved for a factory. There is no way a factory is coming in in 2023 fresh, and there will not be another satellite team promoted to fill that space um, from from a good source. That's just not happening. Um, I see that Leopard have once again pitched that they should be a MotoGP team, as they do that every time in MotoGP can't find a fiver for the toll road. Um, they said, but we could do it. Um, it's not happening. Um, it's just imagine first MotoGP bike to hit 500 kilometers an hour in the straight, <laughs> take off into space. <laughs> yeah, um, that, yeah. The first, well, you know, it would be another energy drink um, on the grid. One, that, one that doesn't sell anything, but we won't touch on that. Um, the uh, yeah, so so if RNF do somehow end up with Aprilia's next season, um. Pfft, there's no satellite Yamaha team. There's nowhere to move Franco Morbidelli to. You have to imagine that Franco Morbidelli's got a very strong contract. Um, let's not forget who his personal manager is. It's Valentino Rossi. There's a good contract there. Um, I, I don't know how Yamaha find a solution out of it. Um, I don't know if Renz is a big enough draw to basically pay Ren- Morbidelli to sit at home for a season. Yeah. If, if if so if they don't if they don't have RNF they can't get VR46 they can't try to negotiate help them negotiate out of the Ducati deal <sighs> with the help of Dorna would be very expensive I'd imagine hmm. yeah this is imagine uh, no satellite Yamaha wow yeah I know yeah I no I can't is the answer well I can that's the no, thing because it's it would be a, a, a it would be an issue entirely of their own making because. Mm. Yamaha have a tradition in MotoGP in an era where every sat- every factory has a satellite partner, Yamaha has a customer. And until they yeah. get rid of that mentality, there's always going to be a risk that there will be a year where they don't have a satellite team because they treat their satellite teams the way they treat them. And we are only six races in out of 21, long way to go. But here and now... They could be winning the championship with Quattararo. How can you not have data from um, 100% more bikes next door for next season? Ah, no. But then arguably, how much data are they getting from a 36-year-old man and a direct from Moto3 rookie that's actually helping Quattararo go faster? Granted, but they're getting a wedge of cash as well. We hope. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think Rins would be a would be quite the solution to that problem. I think Rins's data yeah. is probably really, really good. Uh, yeah. To, no, I agree. And to the point where if there were none of the hurdles and other if this was like a normal silly season development where Alex Rins was always on the market and everybody always knew that he was always on the market, there's not a lot of manufacturers in MotoGP that wouldn't be at least a little interested. Like the guy has done a really good job with Suzuki overseeing it taking over as team leader from Yanone effectively. Uh and I think st- most people say steering the development. I think I recall vaguely Suzuki pointing to something like that. Uh, it'd be good for, honestly, it'd be good for Honda potentially, but I don't think that's possible because of the, I think there's a past history with the Marquez organization, Emilio Alzamora, <laughs> I believe. I'm not, not like, it's just stuff I read. So Simon might be better versed than that. Yeah. Let, let's not forget that, um, so basically, Rins' rookie season in MotoGP was sabotaged by Andrea Iannone 
picking the wrong engine the first year that Suzuki lost their concession status. And then they became locked into an unrideable bike for a year. Um, and it was Rins that dug them out of that hole. It wasn't Iannone, um, because he was not very good at many things, including developing bikes or trying to cheat. Um, so uh, he is very, very good at development. I think that Quadraro would welcome him um, because as much as Morbidelli is a great character and I love working with the guy, he can't be contributing much to the party at Yamaha at the minute, can he? Yeah, and and maybe that is maybe that is the way out for Yamaha. Maybe there is a performance clause. Well, the good thing, so far as Yamaha is concerned, is that Fabio Quattararo goes into his home race as the leader of the championship, seven points ahead of the rest this weekend. I'm sure there will be the obligatory picture of him on a boat on the River Seine with the Eiffel Tower in the background. That'll be across your social media this Wednesday evening. But lifting him by the time he gets to the racetrack, particularly on Saturday afternoon and Sunday morning, will be a sea of French tricolore flags in the stands opposite the pits it will be tremendous okay now for you guys out there one of the things that we'd like to do this season on the race motor gp podcast is to answer any questions you may have about motor gp past present or question mark future you can ask us anything you like because we love hearing from you and we will always do our best to answer. So all you have to do to get your question to us is to record a quick voice note with your question on your phone and then email it to podcasts at the-race.com. Podcasts, plural, at the-race.com. If we like your question, we'll play it out and answer it on an upcoming show. So please get your questions in and don't forget to tell us your name and where you're from so we can have questions from Hong Kong to Hawaii, Seattle to Shanghai. Using technology is so easy nowadays, so we really can't wait to hear what you ask us. And if there's nothing that springs to mind right now, well, just wait until we've had a ding-dong battle at the last corner at Mugello or Catalonia or Assen, and I'm sure something will pop up into the forefront of your mind. Now, some sad news, unfortunately. Jochen Luck has died. He was a commentator in the original commentary box at the Nordschleife. He first did a commentary at the German Grand Prix in 1957. That was the Grand Prix that Juan Manuel Fangio won. Just think about that for a minute, 1957. And after the race, Fangio commented, I have never driven that quickly before in my life, and I do not think I will ever be able to do it again. And the reason Fangio commented that he had never driven that quickly before is that there was a problem with a pit stop, a wheel nut went missing, and he was way down the order with his Maserati 250F, and he came through and he won what apparently was one of the most incredible Grand Prix that a lot of historic motorsport people still talk about today. He saw Hans-Joachim Stuck win the Nürburgring 24-hour race at just 21 years old. He saw Stefan Beloff do that lap of the Nordschleifer in that, Rothmans Porsche 956. 
1983, a lap record that stood until 2018. He even rode a 125cc Grand Prix bike when he was 75 years old, when Harold Eckel gave him a bike for the day to have a whiz around. He would come to a lot of MotoGP races with his wife by his side, regularly driving the long distance down south, usually to the Mugello's or the Misano's. And that's when I met him. And I got introduced to him because he was a fellow commentator. His English wasn't that great, but he's the little guy. He would always talk about the history. And that's when I got talking about him. And when, I, when he said my first commentary was on the, the Fangio race, which in car circles is still quite something to be talked about today, I just literally was blown away. Um, he could apparently say hello to riders on the microphone in 16 different languages and ask them how they were and how his race was. Going further than that, well, that was another discussion. But he was always around the MotoGP paddock because after his commentary years, he was an MAN truck dealer. And a lot of the paddock drive MAN trucks to and from the races. So he had a link with many of the teams. Jochen Luck. He was 97 years old. Can you imagine the huge amount of history he had seen on two and four wheels? We now look forward to Le Mans. Let's see who comes out as the victor. Keep in touch with all of our MotoGP news with Simon and Val through the-race.com and also the Formula One fallout from Miami. So enjoy your week. Tune back again soon. We'll speak to you after the French MotoGP. Goodbye for now. The Athletic.